And so at this time, I'd like to invite our guest, our, our speaker for today, Scott, our youth directors. Thank you. Our guest speaker. That's exactly what I am. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy to be here with y'all. So do y'all want to hear something that I learned recently? Um, well, since I have the mic, unless Jared mutes me, I don't think y'all have a whole lot of a say in this, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, I'm not someone who sits normally. Like, I sit in all sorts of weird poses, right? I'll have, like, one leg under the other leg, or, like, my legs crossed sitting on my chair, or, like, I'll have one knee up and I'll have my chin on my knee, right? And it, it just gets weirder from there. So my leg falls asleep. My legs fall asleep pretty often. Um, haven't you ever wondered what that feeling is? This is a question that only I've asked. Okay, maybe it's just me, but I'm still going to tell you. So doing a bit of research, I learned that when you are sitting weird like I do, you put pressure on your nerves, and that pressure cuts off the communication from your brain. And so in response, you get that tingling sensation. It's your body's way of being like, whoa, hey, there's something wrong here. Pay attention. And normally that isn't a problem. You move and everything's fine. But if that disconnect goes on for too long, then you can end up with permanent nerve damage or even like your nerves can die. Isn't that crazy? I'm really thankful that our bodies have a way of letting us know that something's wrong. It's very, very nice. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to feel my legs. So remember this feeling. We're going to come back to it later on. Um, but I, I appreciate each of you being here this morning. Um, my parents came. My college roommate came. Um, you know, even with the, the lost hour daylight savings, you know, you're all here to hear me share my random thoughts. But much more importantly, to hear me share about uh, the person of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Calvin introduced last week, uh, we're starting a new series about the preeminence of Jesus, reacquainting ourselves with who he is, and reigniting our desire to be with him. I'm blessed to be able to preach about the magnificent Son of God and how he alone gives us life this morning. Today, I get to revisit the passage I preached on the first time I preached at CLC, just over two years ago, John 15. Last time, I actually co-preached this passage with Pastor Andrew, so it's fitting that we were able to receive an update from the Huangs this morning. All right, let's pray for the sermon. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that... All things apart from you do not bear fruit. We know that it is only through you that we have the power to do anything. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would open our minds, our ears, to receive the message you have. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully present in this room, and that you would be transforming our hearts to be more like your Son. Um, I pray that we would not be clinging to things of old, but that we'd be embracing the righteousness that you've given us. Um, I pray that you would be anointing my lips, anoint my tongue, that I may speak words of truth, and that those words would be a blessing to you. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today's passage comes to us as part of Jesus' conversation with the disciples on the way to Gethsemane before he's arrested. <clears throat> Jesus was just in the upper room with them. Uh, Judas had already left to betray him, and this is one of the final things that Jesus says before the crucifixion. Given that context, I'd say that what Jesus says in these passages should be of special importance to us. So let's read John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So first question to ask, why does Jesus use the imagery of a vine and branches? So back in the day, the vast majority of people were very familiar with vineyards. They were everywhere. And so most of the imagery would have been intimately familiar with the people back then. On top of that, vines and vineyards are common imagery in the Old Testament, that with God's covenant people being planted and tended to by the Lord to produce fruit. We see it in Psalm 80, verses 7 through 9. It is written, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. And in Isaiah 5, verses 3 and 4, it is written, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So when Jesus uses this imagery, he's echoing a picture that would have been very familiar to the disciples from their days going to temple. But this time, it's different. Instead of Israel being a vine being tended by God, Jesus himself is the vine. Jesus' whole conversation with the disciples at this point is part of his final I am gospel presentation. Jesus was talking about leaving the disciples in chapter 14, and here he's reminding them to remain in him, the true vine, taking Israel's place in that ancient imagery. Jesus is the one vine, and the people have to ask, am I attached to him? Am I abiding in him? Do I have life? So, what is the focus of this passage? If this were with the basic youth, this is where I'd pause and I'd wait in uncomfortable silence to have like one of them maybe speak up, and they'd take a stab at it. But unless someone here is feeling very particularly bold this morning and you want to risk it in front of the whole congregation, I'll just move us along. Um, this may surprise you, but the focus of this passage is on bearing fruit. You can see it clearly in verse 8. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus emphasizes this later in verse 16 with, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. For those of, or, yeah, for those of you who know what your, your catechisms, the first question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If that's our chief end, and Christ is saying that we glorify God through bearing fruit, then I'd say, let's pay attention. We are to bear fruit to the glory of God, and not just some fruit, but much fruit. Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, I want to point out what Christ reminds us of in verses 4 and 5. A branch by itself cannot bear fruit. We need to abide in Christ the vine. And whoever abides in Christ, and Christ abide in them, they will bear much fruit. So while it's important that we're bearing fruit, we're not able to bear fruit on our own. Not at all. It's only through abiding in Christ that we can bear fruit. He is our, our source of life, and just like a branch that is pulled off the vine, if we are separated from Christ, not only will we not produce fruit, we will shrivel up and die. There is no other way for a branch to survive except the vine. There is no other way for us to have life except by abiding in Christ. So, 
What do we think if we feel as if our lives have been lacking fruit? What if we've been feeling the weight of life's hardships on our shoulders and bearing fruit is the furthest thing from our minds? If our fruit is to bear if our focus is to bear fruit to the glory of God, if fruit is how we prove to be disciples, does that mean that we are thrown out? Looking at the passage and focusing on verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, when I was reading this at home, I was a little shocked. Right? I mean, the meaning seems pretty clear here, but it also seems harsh, right? So we're going to venture into some uncomfortable territory, um, but bear with me. I think it will be a fruitful endeavor, all puns intended. So depending on your theology, you may read these verses and think, yeah, this seems right to me. If you say you're in Christ but aren't bearing fruit, then that's evidence that you've fallen away. And if you've fallen away, then you aren't actually in Christ. And if that's your take, there's weight and authority behind that train of thought. But it isn't one that I would enter into lightly. I want to explore something that can often be overlooked in our Bible reading. So Pastor Ben and I were talking, and he pointed me to the additional context for this passage. Translation is an imprecise art because words don't match up smoothly between languages, and so decisions have to be made. As many of us know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and Greek isn't actually that similar of a language to English. And so behind the scenes, translators have to make decisions about how to render different words. The Greek word here, iro, is translated as takes away. However, it has another possible translation. It can also mean to lift up. And so another rendition of this phrase in verse 2 would be, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father lifts up. Which has quite a different meaning, doesn't it? I mean, in its full context, the passage would read, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. When taken in this context, I see Christ as the vine and the Father as the caretaker of that vine. The Father, surveying his vine, sees on one hand a fruit-bearing branch, and in his wisdom, knowing it could bear more, he prunes it. The Father knows that a branch left unpruned will produce fruit, but it will be small, poorly formed, and ultimately undesirable. With delicate care, the father begins cutting away excess leaves and twigs from the vine. It's a painful process, and it leaves behind scarring, but overall, after the branch recovers, it's healthier, and it will be bountiful as it can focus its energy on producing lush, beautiful fruit. On the other hand, the father sees a branch that is not producing fruit at all. What does he do? You could say that he takes it away, but instead I picture a vine dresser with a discerning eye who sees a branch in poor condition. Caring for the vine, he lifts up the branch so it can produce the fruit that it was made for. Just as an earthly vine dresser provides a trellis for the vine to wrap around and grow, the father provides what is needed for the branch. And just as when a vine is not clinging to the trellis, an earthly vine dresser will lift up the vine or even tie the vine to the trellis to, the trellis to give it what it needs. In the same way, I picture our father, the tender vine dresser, in his limitless wisdom providing for the branches under his care that they may reach the heights they were always intended for. The image of the Father as a careful vine dresser, working all things for our good, ultimately for his glory, is a comforting one, even in less than easy circumstances. For example, pruning, as we touched on a little bit ago, is not a pleasant experience for the plant. For most grapevines, pruning involves removing as much as 60% of the growth. That's a lot. For wine grapes, 
it's actually upwards or up towards 90%. You're cutting off a lot of that branch. But all of that is so the harvest can be more plentiful, the bounty more lavish. Yet, I don't think anyone here as a branch would look forward to being pruned. It honestly sounds a lot like suffering. We're having pieces cut away. Granted, those pieces are weighing us down, taking away from what we could be, but that doesn't make it easier. And yet, here is what Paul has to say about suffering in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What a challenge! We are to rejoice in our suffering because of the hope that we have and the knowledge that our suffering has been turned to fruit before our very eyes. It is difficult to walk through that suffering, to lose all of the things that we clung to in our lives before abiding in Christ. But it's so, so good, nevertheless. And that hope that we could have because of Jesus is worth more than anything we could lose. As it says in verse 3, Christ has already made his disciples clean through his words. He has already covered everything we need to abide in him. And I trust in the faithfulness of the Father to care for those who are in Christ, regardless of our circumstances. While we are to bear fruit, much fruit even, it isn't a test of our quality as Christ's disciples. In some ways, it's out of our hands. We have to trust the vine as our source of life, the vine who has already made us clean so that we can be in him. And we have to trust the vine dresser to bring out the best of us, the best for a beautiful harvest of fruit in our lives. If you are in a season of life where it feels like more than you can bear, or if you're feeling distant from God, I wholeheartedly believe that he will meet you in that place, that he will raise you up. And this is not something I say lightly. A few of you may know this, but I've struggled with depression in my life. I'd have days or weeks or months where I'd go through life just trying to keep my head above the water. The joy of fun-filled times would fade like a scent in the breeze, briefly present before being whisked away, leaving me wondering if I had even caught a hint of it in the first place, leaving nothing in its wake. It was awful. But by the grace of God, I've had that burden lifted from my shoulders over the last couple of years. It wasn't an immediate fix, and this isn't to say that I don't have tough days still, but by fervently turning to Christ and by abiding in him, I have found a hope that clears any fog that could otherwise cloud my mind. And in so doing, I have shed a weight that was holding me down. I've always been incredibly independent. With my family, with my friends, I've always counted on myself first and foremost. I brought this independence into my relationship with God, too. When facing hardships or a bout of depression, my instinct was to shoulder that burden alone. I would press on and just do whatever I could. It was only when I instead turned to Jesus, I left that burden at his feet, having the humility to stop doing everything myself that I felt the weight leave my shoulders, and then I could rise as the person that God has always meant for me to be. Ask him, plead with him. He is our good, good father. As Christ says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What better hope could we ask for? 
Now, who would have thought that we could get two-thirds of the way through a sermon on John 15 without stopping to exposit the concept of abiding? But we've all heard that sermon before. So instead of diving into abiding on its own, let's talk about how abiding brings forth fruit in our lives. Firstly, it isn't just us abiding in Christ. It is Christ abiding in us too. Jesus has already shown that he wants a relationship with us. He deeply longs for us to have togetherness with him. Reading the scriptures as a presentation of who Jesus is, you see that desire in everything Christ has done. Having the form of God, and yet he emptied himself and came down to earth for us. He lived for us. He died for us. Also, we can have a relationship with him. You can't go farther for someone than Christ has gone for you. He did all of this so that you can find life in him. What about for us abiding in him? Abiding is an abstract concept, so we're going to try and make it a little bit more concrete. Abide is related to the word abode, and abode is another word for home. So we can think of abiding in Christ as making our home in Christ. And Christ is making a home in us too. It's a mutual relationship with the same respect and intimacy of marriage. We are making a home in Christ, and Christ is making a home in us. And for that to happen, we need to know that person that we're homing with. And a couple of interesting things start to happen when we're at that level of oneness with someone. Have you ever had that spooky experience of listening to your inner narrative, and then someone says it out loud? Imagine this. You're at a friend's house, and when your face scrunches up in confusion, and you have the thought, where is my phone? Your friend says, looking for your phone, I think you left it in the kitchen. Like, you walk back to the kitchen, and you can't help but think, like, how did you know that that's what I was thinking? Like, can you hear my thoughts or what? It's like, no, no, your thoughts are still yours, but they know you so well that even the slightest tell speaks volumes. Your friend has made a study of you, some intentionally and some simply through exposure. In the same way, when we spend our time with Jesus, we start to internalize who he wants us to be. And he, abiding in us, empowers us to be that person. A little later in this passage, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is telling you what it looks like to bear fruit. We are to keep his commandments and to love one another. It's that simple. The quickest example that comes to my mind is the basic youth. I love our kids, right? I love to come out and support them at their sports games, make an effort to include them while we're hanging out. And most importantly, I love that I'm blessed to to walk with them as they mature into men and women of God. But they don't always make it easy on me. Sometimes they never text me back, right? Sometimes they ignore and disobey me for fun. There can't be any other reason. Uh, And sometimes they completely derail the lessons I have just to see how exasperated I'll get. But those moments where I get to see fruit, those moments where I can see them stepping closer and closer to the God I love, it's all worth it. I love these kids, and I'll do everything I can for them to love our God. Racking my brain on how to make abiding more concrete. The image of the vine and branches struck me in a new way. Have you seen multicolored roses before? I remember they were popular a while ago. They're very cool, 
Right? In order to make them, you have to take a rose and you split the stem into many segments. And each stem needs to go into a different vase with dyed water. The result is almost like a tie-dye style flower, as you saw. They're very striking. Right? You can think of each flower here as representing one of us, representing our life. Our lives are many bits and pieces brought together and blossoming into a beautiful mosaic of color. Each color is a different facet of our lives. Work, parents, culture, trauma, children, passions, interests, and on and on. Every little thing. All of that comes together into the beautiful person that each one of you are. A lovely fragrance filling the room. The petals soft and smooth, almost silken. Vibrant colors drawing the eye in wonder at their beauty. At least for a little while. Because we all know what happens when you have flowers in a vase, right? They die. It doesn't matter how beautiful your rose is. If it is cut off from the vine, it will die. It may start out as a beautiful centerpiece, vibrant, fragrant, and soft, but as soon as it's cut off, it starts to die. The rose no longer has what it needs to survive. The toxins start to build up, leading inevitably to death. In the same way, we may have a rich, varied life, fantastic friends, exciting experiences, and luxurious comfort, but if each part of our lives isn't brimming with the only thing that gives life, if we aren't abiding, we're dying. The fragrance dries out, the once soft petals turn brittle, the vibrant colors muted. And then it's only good for one thing, being tossed in the fire. Abiding in Christ means that our lives are to be inseparable from him. Every facet. Abiding in Christ means that in all circumstances, in all that you do or say or think, when you are there, Christ is there too. And through him, only then can we bear fruit. One last story. I shared during a hashtag we are CLC moment last year that I had started gaming and streaming online during the lockdown. I had started getting involved in some online communities. I made friends and we had a ton of fun. But if fun was all that it was, then it wouldn't be abiding in the vine. I brought Christ with me into that space. I shared about my life, and I had multiple opportunities to share my testimony, to share about God's goodness in my life. And while I'm no longer gaming and streaming, some of those friendships still remain. And by showing them the love that Christ has showed me, I continue to bear fruit and bear witness to the God who has given me life. There's one person in particular that I'm very thankful to have met. Let's call her Emily. Emily grew up in a very conservative Christian household in a small town. Her parents are very strict, and Emily doesn't have the best relationship with them. Her whole life, she has been told to be obedient and good because God doesn't care for sinners. As Emily got older, though, she realized that she experiences same-sex attraction. And with nowhere else to turn, she carried that rejection and shame alone until she found acceptance with friends online. And while she still believes in God, she has also heard her whole life that now God can't love her. She struggles with even imagining how God can fit into her life because everything she knows about God has been tainted with hatred towards people like her. I didn't hear her story in a week. I didn't hear her story in a month. But as she and I got to know one another, as trust developed, me sharing about my life as a Christian and showing love for others, she opened up to me. With such a vulnerable story, I'm so thankful that she trusts me, and I can gently talk with her about faith when she has no one else to remind her of the goodness and love of our God.
I may never see the fruit that God will work from this relationship, but I know that in loving her and pointing her to our Father, he will make great things grow. Encounters like these are only possible when we're abiding. When we're abiding, Jesus proves himself faithful by bearing fruit through our every action. We take his love for us, the love that flows through us, and we pour it out upon others. We pour it out and in so doing, bear fruit. We bear fruit and glorify our Father. To reflect on as we end, you still remember why your legs fall asleep? You get that painful, prickly feeling as your body's way of telling you that something's wrong and you need to make a change. I think that when we're starting to feel spiritual dryness, it's the same thing. Like a branch cut off from the vine, we are drying out, and our soul is crying out to us to reconnect, to abide in the vine. If you're in a spiritually dry place right now, and you want to make a change, we have prayer for you in the back. Cry out to our loving Father, our caring vine dresser who wants to bring life to his branches. Ask him, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your goodness, that you loved us when we did not deserve it, that you sent your son for us, that he lived for us, that he died for us, and through him we can have life. I'm thankful for each person here. Um, I pray that you would be working in them, that you would be drawing them nearer and nearer to you. Um, I pray that yeah, your power would be made manifest in them as they, and as they go forth from this place, they would be filled with a deep passion and fire to, to glorify you in all that they're doing. I pray that you would be faithful to their desire to bear fruit, and I pray that you would give them glimpses of the fruit that they're bearing, that they may just wonder and enjoy the beauty of it all. Thank you for your, your blessed word for us. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.